Max and Trevor are planting flowers across from an older Mexican woman. See, sí, see, sí. Hermosa, Flor. Max turns to Trevor. You say something, dude. Uh, si, sí. muy hermosa. Max and Trevor are on the job, working as part of a gardening crew, but they've got bigger plans. All right, let's go, Max says. Now? Well, should we tell her? Why would we tell her, dude? She's gonna wonder where we are. Dude, we'll make it quick. Are you worried about doing this or what? <sighs> Fuck that. All right, let's go. They walk around to a side door and find that it's locked. Just past it, they reach up to a window and Max pulls it open. You sure there's no dogs, he says? The house, you know. It doesn't scream dog to me. What did Farad say? Trevor looks down and away. Yeah, he said there's no dogs. Max shakes his head, then jumps up and pulls himself in the window. Trevor follows. They look around the room, then at each other, deciding what to do. A loud, angry barking is heard down the hall. They freak out then see a small, white, fluffy dog running up to them in fighting stance. Hey! He puts his hand down to pet him. The dog steps back. Hey, hey! Come on, Foofy. Take it easy. Max calmly steps around the dog, and Trevor follows. The dog stays behind and barks. Tell him to shut up, dude. Just ignore him. Okay, okay. We're looking for the office upstairs. So how does Farad know there's a dinosaur fossil here? Trevor asks. They find the stairs and close a dog gate behind them. The dog keeps staring intently up the stairs, barking occasionally. Shh! Reaching the top of the stairs, Max looks down the hallway before they proceed. They quickly check the rooms one by one. They open a door and find the dinosaur skull fossil on display in the office. It's large, three to four feet across. Oh shit, Trevor says. Fucking Farad! What are we supposed to do with that thing? Well, hang on, hang on. Maybe if we turn it. He looks at the size of the door, then back at the fossil. I think we can get it through that door. And just carried across the lawn and down the street? I thought it was like a tooth or a bone or something. Well, what about that pinball machine downstairs? That's even bigger than this, man. Downstairs, they hear the front door open. The dog barks, then quickly stops. They hear footsteps. Then an older woman speaking to the dog. Oh, little Daisy, she says. Who the fuck is that? How should I know? They were supposed to be out of town, dude. Downstairs, the woman who just entered the house is the maid. She's organizing and cleaning the kitchen cupboards as the dog sits behind her. 
Are they on to us? They could be armed. Shut up, man. Listen, we might have to make a swift exit. Max walks to the window and opens it. We're pretty high up, dude. Trevor follows and sticks his head out to look. Fuck. Downstairs, the maid is speaking to the dog. Kieris, Subir? Shit. Subir, that's upstairs, dude. Oh, fuck. All right, I'm going. Trevor sticks his leg out the window and reaches across to the drain, grabs on, and clumsily starts to climb down. Hurry up, dude! Max makes his way out the window and starts to climb out, just as a dog runs into the room, barking angrily at them. Down below, Trevor falls on his ass. Then Max jumps off and hits the ground next to him. The maid sticks her head out the window and sees them lying on the ground. Dios mio, she says as she covers her mouth in shock. Max and Trevor immediately jump up and start running away. The maid looks confused as they bolt across the lawn. They come out onto the street, trying to catch their breath. Remember Jurassic Park? When our dates ditched us in the middle of the movie for those Letterman sweater douchebags? Man, you hate bees? I fucking hate dinosaurs. Fuck, man. What are we doing with our life? Rachel met a new friend the other day, Liz, the barista. It turned out they had a lot in common, both with parents into UFOs, metaphysics, and contemporary spirituality. Liz told Rachel about this new age bookstore over in Monterey Park called Mystic Glow, and they headed over there. Rachel and Liz are walking up to Mystic Glow bookstore. Here it is, Liz says. As the girls check out the window display, a tall man with a thin frame walks up to the store and opens the door to go in. He stops and looks at Rachel. What's your name? Rachel. Rachel? I'm sure we've met before. He turns to Liz. And you? I'm Liz. Nice to make your acquaintanceship, Liz. And Rachel, nice to see you again. I'm John Arbor Franklin. He walks in the store. The girls look at each other and giggle. He's handsome, Rachel says. A few moments later, inside, Rachel takes a paperback off the shelf. Of all possible worlds, William Ten. I read this in junior high, I think. I remember the imagery and descriptions. It just seems so real, you know? Almost like I was right there. John Arbor Franklin is perusing a book on ESP. He looks up. There's one story in there about the guy who gets a magic potion to attract women. Rachel smiles and nods her head. Wow, I remember that. But I don't remember if the potion worked or not. What do you think? He shoots Rachel a sly look and smirks. She smiles. An older woman, the owner of Mystic Glow Bookstore, speaks up. Okay, folks. 
the meeting will be starting. Rachel, Liz, and John Arbor Franklin walk along with the others into the back room where chairs are lined up, facing a simple podium. The older woman waits in front of the group until everyone sits down. Thank you for coming to another meeting of the other worlds. Today's topic is hell. The crowd goes, ooh, as they whisper to each other. Settle down, people. First, as always, we'll open the room to anybody that wants to speak. Then we have a few prepared pieces and lectures from our community. I think anyone that lives in this concrete jungle of a city is familiar with the concept of hell. There's four letters in the word hell. The first two, H-E, represent man, as in he or she. That's the good. And the next two letters are L-L. Those are straight lines to the devil. I've often wondered how hot hell actually is. And at what point do you become hell-bound? Like stealing a candy bar? Probably not. Murder, on the other hand, probably. So where in between stealing a candy bar and murder do you end up going to hell? John Arbor Franklin stands up. On this subject, I can speak with some certainty. People in the room turn their heads to see. Hell and heaven are ideas that tease us into believing that our actions alone decide our fate. Mankind has always longed for a kind of justice, that the good will be rewarded and that the bad will be punished. These concepts are designed to drive us to our most extreme acts. That is the reason we have those words, heaven and hell. Rachel stands up. Yeah, but don't you think there are people living in a kind of heaven or hell on this earth right now? I mean, people starving in the dirt somewhere. The words can be used in many different ways. Say there are two people in the exact same situation. One might describe the experience as hell, and the other, heaven. So when does it become spiritual, or biblical, I guess? If a preacher talks about hell, it's biblical and righteous. If a homeless person says it, it's the height of paranoia. Several people chuckle. Clearly, this discussion could go on all night, but let's get to our speakers. Jebediah, has your chi improved since last week's life breath session? Rachel leans forward and looks over to John Arbor Franklin again. He's sitting straight up in his chair, his brow stern and focused in thought, as Jebediah takes the stage. Something's been missing from my life for a while now, Rachel thinks to herself. It's nice to have an enlightened conversation again. As much as I love Stacy, she's not exactly the philosophical type. Back at Casper's place, Rosso is just waking up. He's been out cold after getting kidnapped by Casper and knocked out by Loza. Well, good evening, Slick. You know where you are? 
<clears throat> Shit. Can I have some water? Hold up. Casper goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Thank you. Yes, I remember where I am, amigo. Well, you should have remembered not to be an asshole. Or else maybe you wouldn't be tied up right now. Haha, <laughs> smart ass. Hey, wait a minute. Rosso looks intently at Casper. You went to Valley View Junior High, didn't you? What's it to you, homie? Shit. You're the one who got stuck in that sewer pipe. Casper looks at him surprised and slightly embarrassed. That, that, was, that was a long time ago, man. How'd you end up getting out of it? Some kid found me and broke the grill. I slipped right out. It was no big deal. Yeah, wise ass. That kid was me. What? No, this kid's name was Richie something. Rosso lifts up his head higher. Richard Rosso here. You're looking at the one and only. No shit. Small world, man. Same year that uh, Rico Smith got killed in that car accident. Yeah, I remember that. And the assembly afterwards, where the gym teacher got in a fight with the parent. Fuck Damn! I forgot about that! Casper looks Rosso over and thinks for a minute. Well, if you think I'm going to let you go, you're wrong. Hey, you got to do what's best for you and yours. But look, hear me out for a second. We both know the situation between our organizations is like a fucking powder keg about to blow. You're the ones who took out fucking Puppet and Spider. Oh yeah, and you're all a bunch of fucking angels. Listen, Casper, I think I got a way we can all move on from this little feud. And you can even come out looking like a big man for your boss. You better start telling me what you're getting at, Holmes. Lindsay is driving down a street in Beverly Hills at sunset. The hedgerows lead to a typical Beverly Hills mansion with a finely manicured lawn and a huge water fountain sporting a Greek statue in the middle. He sees a party up ahead with a line of cars waiting to get in. The signpost reads, Mr. America. Lindsay and the other guests walk through a tall marble column as they enter the mansion. It's a crowded black tie affair. Inside, Lindsay sees the drink station and heads for it. Give me a Coors. We only have wine, champagne, and liquor. Are you kidding me? Sorry, sir. It's what the house wanted. All right, then. How about a 7 and 7? Coming right up. As the event worker is mixing his drink, Lindsay turns around and notices the different pockets of famous people drinking and laughing. <laughs> a famous comedian is doing a Bill Clinton impression. A small group is talking about Lorena Bobbitt. Lindsay takes his drink and makes his way into the crowd. He doesn't know anyone there other than his colleague, the movie star, Andreas Ebner. Lindsay makes his way through the dining hall and into a room that has a newly released Mr. America movie 
playing on a projector. Lindsay, Lindsay, it's our part. Lindsay looks over to the TV screen, displaying an actor in a car chase through a busy downtown area. The small audience applauds Andreas and Lindsay. Thank you, thank you. But none of it could have been done without this guy here. He motions to Lindsay. The applause continues, and Lindsay raises his drink. No, really, you are looking at the best stuntman in Hollywood, folks. He saved my ass on this one. The director gave me the craziest damn horse. But this cowboy here took care of it like it was nothing. You're too kind, man. Thanks. Don't be so modest. Hey, I heard we're good to go for our next movie. The next one will be bigger than Mr. America. Van Damme can shove it. A crowd starts to gather around Andreas Ebner as Lindsay proceeds to wander around the house. Lindsay casually heads up the stairs in search of a restroom. He notices a balcony that leads towards a series of hedgerows coming up to a pool area. He sees a woman sitting hunched over in her chair crying. Excuse me, miss. Is everything okay? Sorry. Sorry. She wipes her eyes. It's alright, really. I just want to make sure you're okay. I did something tonight that I shouldn't have. And the worst part about it, I told myself I'd never stoop to that level. And... Well, look at me now. Lindsay sits down opposite of her. Hey, it's okay, really. He realizes who the woman is. She's the actress starring in Mr. America opposite Andreas. Listen, at least you're here on the big screen. I just kill myself, sacrifice this body for the shot, and not a single person knows who I am. You've got real potential. I saw your scenes when you were on set. You're way better than most of the women in there. That's nice of you to say. Lindsay is about to say something when a group of flamingos walk by, taking their time as they slowly cross the length of the pool. Both Lindsay and actress Kate Rosebush watch as they pass within a few feet of them. I can't believe this guy has fucking flamingos. I mean, really. Am I right? I grew up in Kansas and everybody had them. Really? No. I always wonder why they're all pink. It's pretty cool if you ask me. It has to do with their diet. It's a chemical called canthazanthin. Flamingos eat a lot of algae and shrimp, and they're actually born with gray feathers. Lindsay is dumbfounded. How can you possibly know that? Uh, I was a chemistry major in a past life. My best friend wanted to move out here, be a star, and I came with her, figuring I could get a job easy. She lasted about four months, packed up and moved back to the Midwest. I would go with her to auditions and just wait around in the lobby. Got bored with that, so I started auditioning myself. Couple callbacks, a few scenes, and I got an agent. And now you're here, sitting by a pool in Beverly Hills next to flamingos and a beat-up old stuntman. Gosh, what a world we live in. 
You know what? I could use a beer. Lindsay shakes his head. They don't have beer down there. What? No beer. How crazy is that? I know, right? Stacy got a last minute call from her agent, Walker Heyman. Walker's friend over at Columbia Pictures needed a girl to play Kelly Bundy's friend on an episode of Married with Children. Walker figured Stacy would be a good fit and it would be a nice little warm up for Mix and Mingle. Stacy, feeling sorry for Rachel and the rejection she was going through, insisted that Rachel would be perfect for the role and pleaded with Walker that she go instead. Walker was a little reluctant to send an unknown with very little experience. But knowing what Stacy's upcoming contract would do for his own career and pocketbook, he relented and gave Stacy the information. Rachel is on the set of Married with Children. She's a little overwhelmed, as this is her first real gig as an actress. The bright lights, sound equipment, and high-tech cameras are a lot to take in. And they sure are a long way from that VHS camera Adam used with her back in high school. She's also a bit starstruck, recognizing faces she'd only seen on TV. Okay, so here's the gist of it. You're sitting on the couch, waiting for Kelly to finish getting ready. Bud Bundy comes into the house, and you decide to have some fun with him. You're going to pretend to seduce him. Did you have time to memorize the lines? Yeah, I did. Perfect. Everything's almost in place. Just wait around a bit, and we'll call you when we're ready, okay? As Rachel and the assistant director are finishing up their conversation... One of the producers approaches them. Hey, Carl, who is this stunning piece of work? This is Rachel. She's playing Kelly's girlfriend on today's shoot. Oh, wow. Hello, doll. Welcome, welcome. The producer looks Rachel up and down in a very pervy and uncomfortable way. Uh, Carl, one question. Don't you think we should fashion her up a bit? Uh, what do you mean? I don't need to tell you what we're selling here. That skirt could be a little shorter, and that tube top isn't doing this woman justice. Have her go see Anthony in wardrobe. He'll take care of her. <sighs> I should know by now. Tighter, shorter, skimpier, sluttier. <laughs> As if her clothes weren't already revealing enough, they sent Rachel back to wardrobe to see this Anthony guy. He turned up the volume with a miniskirt that left nothing to the imagination and a halter top that could, well, you know what we're getting at here. Anthony steps out of the room as Rachel looks herself over in the mirror, trying her hardest not to question every life choice she's ever made. How did she end up here in tight poly spandex about to hit on Bud Bundy? She turns around to go and finds the producer from earlier standing at the door. Oh, much better. Go ahead. Turn around. Let me get a good look at you, doll. 
do I have to? Oh, come on. It's no big deal. We got to make sure you look good for the cameras, right? Rachel swallows hard and turns around half-heartedly. Amazing. What a specimen. Wow. The producer walks up to Rachel. Just a piece of advice, darling. You want to always make sure these two are front and center. As the producer is saying this, he grabs Rachel's chest and pushes up her breasts before letting go. (sighs) Rachel is stunned, horrified, and embarrassed. Without thinking, she punches the producer in the face. Oh, my nose! She runs out of the dressing room and off the set. Last time we saw PCO meeting with our informant, Ronnie, a.k.a. James Ricci. PCO was looking for any new dirt from him on this case, especially after getting reamed out by his boss. PCO is right in the thick of it. He's driving an unmarked van and rams the bumper of the car in front of him. The car loses control. It swerves right, then left, and then skids onto the side of the road. PCO puts it in park as the driver of the other car, a white Ford Escort, gets out and starts walking towards PCO's van. As PCO is opening his door, another van pulls up. The sliding door opens and a masked man grabs the driver. PCO helps shove the driver into the van, then hops in the Ford Escort and drives off. Fifteen minutes later, Two men are busy tearing apart the trunk of the Ford Escort inside a mechanic's shop. PCO stands behind them, smoking a cigarette. We have to be thorough on this one. Check every goddamn nook and cranny. Pull the fucking wheels off and gut the seats if you have to. A phone in the shop rings. PCO walks over and picks it up. Yeah? How would they fucking know? Who tipped them? Listen, I can't have my men out here playing grab-ass all day. No! I don't have time for this shit. Sooner or later, we're going to need some real fucking evidence. PCO throws the phone across the room. Fuck me, motherfucker! What seems to be the problem, boss? We got played, boys. Somehow they knew we were on to them. What do we know about the driver? PCO's colleague says. Right. Let's get him singing. Now. PCO goes over to the van and opens it. Inside, the driver is gagged and hogtied. PCO snaps his fingers and his colleagues drag him to the chair. I'll make this very easy for you. Tell me something I don't already know and I'll let you go. PCO takes the gag off the driver. So, do you care to elaborate on how you came to be driving this car? Fuck you, asshole. I really don't have time for this. I'll give you one more chance. What do you know about the car you were driving? I don't know nothing. Okay, fine. Have it your way. Guys, 
You know what's on the menu. The two guys grab the driver and slam him onto the hood of the car. They then proceed to take off his shoes and socks while holding him in submission. It's funny how in the movies, guys are always tied up, bound to a chair, taking a beating by some fucking ogre type. In my experience, after enough shots to the head, the suspect either passes out or starts slurring their words, both of which are not good for extracting information. PCO rips the antenna off the car and starts flexing it in front of the driver. You want to know one of the most painful places to hit a man? He raises the antenna and strikes the bottom of the driver's feet. Ah! You see, it's really the perfect place when you think about it. We use our feet every day. There's enough muscle and bone to withstand a good old-fashioned beating. And why is this my particular favorite? Ah! Well, that's easy. The feet also seem to be one of the most sensitive places on the human body. Boy, those Chinese really got it right if you ask me. PCO walks around to the driver's head and whispers in his ear. I can keep this up all fucking day long, my friend. I've been told the pain actually gets worse around hour three. Of course, we can end this now if you just give me a little bit of information. Anything at all. Underneath the seat. PCO motions to his guys. They take the driver off the hood of the car and place him on a chair. PCO then leans into the Ford Escort and reaches underneath the passenger seat. He feels a wad of paper and pulls it out. So what's this? Your fucking diary? Sales receipts. On the cars. PCO starts to look closer. This supposed to mean something? Look at the signatures on the bottom. So it's the same guy selling every car. I already know that, asswipe. PCO checks the signatures. They all appear to be the same. Every one of them is signed by John Stone. Wait, wait a minute. Loza Alvarez? We just may have something here, boys. Go to the Van Nuys dealership and you'll find more for sure. Fuck. This really didn't go as I had planned. We should probably just kill him. That's the easiest way, I think. No, no, I gave you what you wanted, man. PCO's colleague uses the butt of his gun to knock the driver out. He falls to the floor unconscious. Let's get him back in the van, throw some coke on him, and make sure he sees Judge Williams.